When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until four, so. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, Discover must-see shows and hit movies. And get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. This is Hardwood Handicappers, VEASAN's premier NBA betting podcast. Here are your hosts, Jonathan Von Tobel and Kelly Bidlin. What's up, folks? Good afternoon and welcome in. It is Hardwood Handicappers here on this Wednesday. Today will be a short episode. I, Jonathan Von Tobel, flying solo. Kelly Bidlin on vacation. Got a good slate of guests for the rest of the week, though. Matt Meiselman is going to be back on the pod tomorrow. We talk a lot of things when it comes to player ratings and balancing those out versus matchups in an NBA series and, uh, uh, how we're going to handle some of these injury situations moving forward for some of those teams. We'll cover that with Matt tomorrow and then Will Hill on Friday to discuss everything going on with, I don't know if they're his beloved New York Knickerbockers, but uh, we will discuss the Knicks, of course, with Will being out in the area and I know being in on the New York Knicks in this series against the Cleveland Cavaliers. So today's episode will be pretty short. we got three games later today to discuss, and we also have some news to discuss and we can recap a little of what we saw yesterday as well, but we'll focus on the news of the day, and that would be that one Draymond Green, that came out last night, has been suspended for the Warriors matchup with the Kings in Game 3 back in San Francisco. Now, the NBA came out and gave the reasoning as to why Draymond was indeed suspended, and uh, a lot of it, it seems, has to do with not only the action, but Draymond Green himself from the statement from the NBA, Golden State Warriors forward Draymond Green, has been suspended one game without pay for stepping on the chest of Sacramento Kings center DeMontis Sabonis, announced by Joe Dumars, executive vice president, head of basketball ops. The suspension was based in part, this is the important part, on Green's history of unsportsmanlike acts. So we know that we saw this number get up to as high as eight in some spots when it comes to this bounce back for the Golden State Warriors now for the game itself down to five and a half. And uh, we will have more on this there's actually a couple of stray sixes out there as well in detail when we talk about it tomorrow but there's a couple of things that we should note that come from this uh first off warriors without draymond green on the floor in the regular season a negative six net rating and a defensive rating of 120.1 and you really saw that at the end of that game too after he got ejected the kings just went after those Golden State Warriors centers, namely Kevon Looney, in the, those pick and rolls, just got to the rim with relative ease. And uh, interestingly enough, in the postseason so far without Draymond Green on the floor, same net rating, a negative six and a defensive rating of 129.4. So this is going to be a very, very poor offensive or excuse me, defensive showing for the Golden State Warriors, one would assume. Uh, also wouldn't say no to betting that game over the total. Yes, even at 239. With no Draymond out there, the pace that you can assume is going to be played and the inability for both teams to defend, I would think that this is going to be a pretty high-scoring affair between those two. But Sacramento right now on the road with the 2-0 series lead and the team's second-best player out for Game 3. 
catching five and a half. And it is really interesting because I, I can't wait to talk to Matt Meiselman about this tomorrow because the Warriors now don't have Draymond Green, but they're in the ultimate spot, right? The defending champs, the flip it team, they flip it when I say they can flip the switch team, coming back home down to nothing. You know, you got to go first quarter. You got to go first half. You know, the market believed the zigzag was going to be strong for the Golden State Warriors in game two. Didn't really work out. And here we are, five and a half without Draymond on the floor. I think Draymond is worth more than what the market is saying. But it is the situation for the Golden State Warriors. And we will see if that is going to be the case for Golden State moving forward with this matchup coming up on Thursday. Uh, and we'll have more on like betting into scenarios. You know, I mentioned this to Kelly yesterday, and it's a thought process that I'm still trying to work through, right? Which is balancing out those situations and scenarios with the actual power ratings and numbers and, and how you view those things. You know, again, upgrading because it's the easiest example to make. Upgrading Golden State essentially three points the market did because they lost game one. You know, buying into those scenarios. Is that really something is it better that you want to do? Because we had two examples of it yesterday. The Cleveland Cavaliers laying six in a matchup. They closed four and a half the night before or the game before, and they went out and they won easily. They covered. Same thing with the Phoenix Suns. They were seven and a half point favorites game one, lost the game outright, and they lay eight and a half coming back to game two, won and covered there. So it's I, I think it's a scenario that I've kind of been bringing up to a lot of people. I brought it up to Stormy on Lombardi line today, gauged her thoughts on it. We talked about it with Kelly yesterday. We'll talk about it with Meiselman as well as Will later in the week because I just really interested thought exercise as to how you approach those scenarios and if you as a better uh, are willing to buy into those scenarios if that means the cost of a point or two of value or where you were in the previous game by the way i'd love to hear from you guys on this topic if anybody does listen to this and have some thoughts on it i always love to collect information and thoughts from a lot of people so at me jvt up on twitter you can uh, shoot me a tweet or anything like that I would love to get thoughts on, on what this topic is like if you're willing to bet into scenarios because you do think that those scheduling spots are worth it in the grand scheme of things. So with that, let's get into a little bit of what we're going to see today. And there is news. And we'll start with Milwaukee and Miami. And Milwaukee, it's uh, funny. I tweeted this out yesterday, and uh, it was ultimately the case. So Milwaukee's first initial injury report has Giannis Antetokounmpo listed as doubtful. And for those who listen to this podcast or have been keeping track of what's been going on with Giannis throughout the regular season, this is something Milwaukee has been doing with their injury reports for quite a while now. Uh, Giannis, uh, this is not, this is, I'm going to present this as a statement of fact. I believe it is a fact, but I, I have to go back and look. But Giannis, I think, is the player with the most doubtful tags that ends up playing through them. Uh, he has a high rate of playing with a doubtful tag. And as Matt Meiselman is going to join us tomorrow, did point out, you know, a lot of those were going from out to doubtful, then uh, upgraded to questionable. And why I thought he was going to play was twofold. It was the fact that, one, he was initially listed as doubtful instead of out, and the optimism coming out of Milwaukee that he was going to be fine. And sure enough, that's the case. So Giannis is going to play tonight against the Miami Heat. The adjustment goes from a six-and-a-half-point spread up to eight. And I, I do think that this is an interesting scenario because this is a point lower, point-and-a-half lower, than where we closed on Sunday. We closed on Sunday was Heat catching nine against the Miami or excuse me, against the Milwaukee Bucks. But that was a game that had Tyler Hero in it. And and so when we're sitting at eight throughout the day, and I'm going to assume that once Giannis is officially listed as active, this closes nine. So we're going to be back to that number. Um, but just sitting here and pretty much realizing that Giannis is going to play, 
I do think there is some value in coming in and backing Milwaukee. Not only is Milwaukee, and this is like the the opposite of what we talked about with some of these other games, right? Wherein the market, when the favored team in the series lost at home in the opening game or just lost in the opening game, came back and upgraded that team in their next matchup. Phoenix, Cleveland, Golden State. And the Giannis injury has created too much noise around this where instead of having that upgrade that we usually get in the market on a game-to-game basis in these series, you get the downgrade because there's a question about whether Giannis is going to play. And even when that number is brought back up because we believe he's going to, we're still under a point, by a point, I should say, from that number in game one. And the other interesting facet of that is that Tyler Hero is not playing. So theoretically, Tyler Hero should probably be worth about like, a, we'll say a point, point and a half. So if Giannis is going to play and everything's equal from game one, probably talking 10 when it comes to the adjustment. And yet here we are at eight, some spots, eight and a half. So I do think that if this point right now, depends on when you're listening to this, but from a number standpoint, there's some value in coming in and laying eight with Milwaukee should close higher once Giannis is listed as active and uh, you'll be sitting on a good number. And then there's just the other parts of this matchup that I wrote about this morning in the daily column, which, you know, you can point to a lot of stuff that should come back down to earth for the Miami heat. Uh, Miami shot 59% from the floor, 15 of 25 from three point range. It's obviously nearly impossible to repeat that shooting performance. And on the other side, and and by the way, without Tyler hero, that's the other part, right? Kudos to Tyler hero for hitting a three through a broken hand, but he's not going to be out there. And then when it comes to Giannis or excuse me, the bucks, That's the other thing. They shot 49.5% from the floor in the loss. So they shot nearly 50% from the floor without Giannis out there. And they did that while going 11 of 43 from three-point range. So they were having their way inside against Miami. It was just the three-point shots that weren't falling. And if you're wondering, well, yeah, Miami is a good perimeter defense, tightly contested threes. Of course, they're not going to hit them. The Bucks actually generated, according to the NBA tracking data, 17 wide open looks from three-point range or a defender six feet or farther away. And they only hit six of them. So they shot 35% on wide open threes in that game. Generated 17 of them, only shot 35% on them. So that rate should go up if you generate more wide open shots. You should hit them at a higher rate. Your shooting should just regress to the mean in general. And same thing should go for Miami. I think this is a perfectly good situation for Milwaukee to come in again at a discounted number because of the Giannis situation and take care of business, win, cover, even the series up and go back on the road to face Miami in South Beach. But given the situation out again, I still think coming in and laying eight is worth it because this should close at about nine, nine and a half by the time we get to tip time later tonight between Miami and Milwaukee. So that was the big news of the day. The other bit of news that we're waiting for is, of course, what's going to happen with John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. So we don't know officially what's going to happen with Jaw in terms of his hand. We did get the report that it is a soft tissue injury in the hand, a contusion, if you will, and that um, no x-rays or excuse me, no x-rays. It, all the x-rays were negative, so there's nothing broken. So it's just a matter of whether or not Ja is going to be active tonight. And these are the games that I find so really interesting. So let's go back to game one. And this is why, too, I can't wait to talk to guys like Matt or Will about this process. It's always about learning and, and, and getting better at it. But again, kind of going back to what we're talking about when it comes to evaluating these games on a night-to-night basis and where the market is at and where these point spreads are. So if we're talking about in game one, 
the Memphis Grizzlies. And apologies, by the way, if you hear like some rattling in the background. There's a lot of construction right outside of my window. I tried to find the most quiet place, but uh, if you can hear it, I apologize. Um, but if you're talking about where we were for game one, market made a late push on Memphis. They actually ended up closing as five-point favorites against the Los Angeles Lakers. And that was, again, as we know, with John Morant on the floor. Well, as I'm recording this, and as we do not have information, uh, whether or not we're going to talk about, uh, you know, or we don't have information in terms of John Morant's status. Sorry, I'm all over the place. Um, I don't have Kelly to rein me in or anything. So as we're waiting for news on Morant, we'll call this number consensus one as of right now with a total of 225 and a half or 226 and a half, depending on where you shop. Other spots are a pick. If John Morant plays, this is going to go back to Memphis. The question is just to what degree. And the reason why this matters is we are about six points off from the closing number of game one. And again, going back to what we talked about when we talk about the team that is favored in the series, losing the first game, the market generally comes back very strongly on that team in game two. However, just like with Milwaukee, we have an injury to a key player that has created a lot of noise. So everything equal, if the market thought that the Grizzlies were five-point favorites in game one at home, if John Moran plays today, you would think that we get back up to five. But that's probably not going to happen, right? The market's probably not going to swing six points back in the other direction. I would assume, that as you're listening to this, we'll see if I'm right, this probably closes more like two and a half, maybe three in favor of Memphis tonight if John Morant is going to play. There will be some arbitrary cut down of their power rating because John Morant is not perceived to be fully healthy. But it's just a really interesting study where the market was like, no, with John on the floor, this team is five points better on their home court, and as we call it for three points of home court advantage, two points better on a neutral. But because of the jaw injury and him maybe not being 100% if he plays today, we'll say that these two teams are now equal uh, on a neutral court. It's just a really fascinating dynamic. But I would say that right now, if you're listening to this and it's still Lakers one, the probably the move is to go in and back the John Morant list at this point, Memphis Grizzlies. If he does play, this is going to swing back. But it's always this interesting degree of like how you're evaluating the number, the changes in the number, because I'm always a believer of this being somewhat static in terms of the the numbers on a game-to-game basis. And yet, you know, we've seen some changes in these numbers, and some have come home and, and some have not. But the real bet for me here, I talked about it with Kelly the other day. If you listened on Live Bet Sunday, we mentioned it as well. Uh, bet under the game on 229.5. There are a lot of indicators in this game uh, that we are going to see a little bit less in terms of scoring uh, for this contest. You know, you go back to game one between these two teams, 98 total possessions. So not the fastest game, not the slowest game but a ton of offense, an efficient offense at that from one team. Uh, the Lakers, 130.6 was their offensive rating in non-garbage time. They shot 16 of 37 from beyond the arc. That's 43.2% for a team that, since they reconstructed their roster, has shot just over 36% from three. Rui Hachimura went 10 of uh, shot. What did he do? 11 of 14 from the floor. I think it was, what, five of six from three-point range and setting a franchise record or at least tying a franchise record for most points off the bench in a playoff game for the Lakers. So, like, there's a lot of extremes here offensively for the Lakers that should regress to the mean. And for the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, again, I think they're going to struggle here with the size, which they really did, man. Like, they really did have a lot of trouble down low. 
Uh, they went just 10 of 15 at the rim against the Lakers. Only 15 shot attempts within four feet of the basket for the Grizzlies. They gave up 10 offensive rebounds. Anthony Davis was an absolute menace. They really didn't have an answer for him. 12 rebounds, seven blocks. That's not going anywhere. So I think the efficiency should drop off for the Lakers. The pace should remain pretty similar, and the Grizzlies should have the exact same issues. And part of the thinking for me at 229.5 was, they, for those who didn't listen on Sunday, because, of course, it's a long day and you do your day off, one of the topics that I talked about with uh, Mike Samich, who was my co-host that day, was the surprise that we both had that MGM, where I bet this total under, had hung up a number for this game immediately. And they opened it up actually Memphis minus two and a half with a total of 229 and a half. And that's the only reason I bet that thing under 229 and a half was I just don't think that number is going to be there, especially with these injury question marks about jaw and all the buyer, the indicators, we'll call it, um, on this game being an under selection for game two. So hopefully, you know, we got sitting on right now about four points of closing line value. I'm sure it'll come back up if John Morant does play, but it shouldn't be more than two points or so in terms of the total. So maybe close at about 227 and a half or so. Um, but regardless, that's where I'm sitting on this game. And I think if job plays, if it gets up to 228 and a half or back up to 229 and a half, the number I have played, uh, obviously worth playing it under the total. But I think there's a lot of indicators that this game is going to be a little bit of a low scoring game. So we'll see where that flips. But I'm more fascinated as to where the market ends up going with this from the perspective of John Morant and what he means to a point spread as opposed to the actual game itself. And then the last one on the card today, of course, Minnesota, Denver. Uh, we're sitting pretty much where we opened. Uh, there's been a dip in the total. 222.5 is the current number as I record this. 223.5 was the opening number, and 8.5 was the open, and you can find 8.5 wherever you'd like. It, this is going to be a low-handle game, I would assume, if you talk to any bookmaker. Um, maybe because of the time, this one's going to get a little bit more action, so people want to get something. But there's hockey on later tonight, so I'm sure that this won't be uh, as actionable in terms of the handle. Because it's one eight matchup and it's two less than sexy teams in Denver and Minnesota. And I'll just say this: so I wrote the uh, I wrote the preview for this series, obviously up on the website. Anybody wants to go back and revisit some of the points I made, you can find it at vison.com/slash/nba-hub. One of the things I'm kicking myself over was I kind of zigged when everybody else was zagging, or zagged when everybody else is zigged, whatever. Uh, in that, you know, I think a lot of people believed, and they still can be. It's only one game in the series. But a lot of people believe that Minnesota was going to be kind of a, uh, a thorn in the paw of Denver. And I keep kind of talking about this point, which is I think if you're down on Denver, it makes a lot of sense. It's just the, the Timberwolves aren't the team to go to bat with to test that theory. And you just go through some of the numbers when they just played the other day. Minnesota doesn't run. They just ran on 10.6% of their possessions, started with a transition play according to cleaning the glass in game one. They averaged only 0.667 points per play in transition on offense. Absolutely abysmal. Uh, they were abused in transition on the other end. They allowed the Nuggets to average 1.53 points per play themselves. And while they protected the rim really well, which they should, they have two massive centers that they play a majority of the time. Denver just went 15 and 25 within four feet. But the Nuggets spread them out as we can, you know, as we talked about and I talked about in the uh, in the preview. They went 15 to 36 from distance. So why I'm kicking myself is this is one where I kind of got away from my own thoughts. And I was like, man, I kind of think that Denver should roll here. And I, I wrote in the series preview. I can't remember. I'll have to, let me pull this up. I, I either recommended one and a half or two and a half game spread. Um, but regardless, I, I, I did not play it myself because I was like, man, you know, maybe I'm missing something here. Maybe I'm missing something when it comes to this matchup because a lot of people I had talked to thought that Minnesota was going to be pretty live. And uh, at least through one game, that has not been the case. It was two and a half games at plus 110. 
was the recommendation in terms of laying the two and a half games with the Denver Nuggets. And again, hey man, it's early. We got plenty of time in this series. Nuggets could lose two straight. And everybody, what everybody thought was true about this series could come to fruition. I'm just always, I'm buoyed by if you think something about a matchup and it plays out in the first game, then you feel pretty good about that going forward. Happened in the next, uh, the Knicks and the Cavaliers series, happened in the Phoenix Suns, Los Angeles Clippers series, happened here too for Wolves and Nuggets. So I'll be interested to see uh, if those matchups play out. All right, let's take our break on the other side. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about what we saw last night, or let's just talk about what we saw last night um, about this Clippers series, where they're at from a defensive standpoint, as the Suns made some pretty good adjustments, as did the Cavaliers. And one more note on these teams down to nothing going back home, because I just, it's, it's an interesting trend and I get how popular it's become, but it's become so popular that it's been priced out of the market. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. All right, back here on Hardwood Handicappers, as promised, this will be a pretty short episode. Just want to hit on a couple of things before we get out of here. Uh, again, Kelly Bidlin is out for the rest of the week. we got a good show scheduled for the rest of the week. We've got Matt Maselman who's going to join us, former DraftKings uh, associate, does an awesome job with analytics and power ratings and has his own little uh, uh, model that we can run through and see what some of his numbers project for the rest of these series. And also Will Hill, decent contributor, is going to be with us on Friday. So well, let's talk a little bit uh, about, first off, the, the first quarter, first half trend. And I, I know that it's very popular, and I understand why. And it goes back to what we were kind of talking about in the first half of the show, which is weighing the lack of value in a situation versus the situation itself, and if you're willing to buy into it. But uh, it's been thrown out there, and it's a really good number for anybody who's interested. Since uh, in the last 32 instances, I believe it's since 2018, but I could be wrong, could be 2020, whatever it is. Uh, but we'll just call it the last 32 instances. The last 32 instances in which a team is down to nothing and goes back home, those teams that are down to nothing are 15, 15, and two against the spread in the first half. And you are not getting any value. Again, we'll emphasize Warriors five and a half point favorites in game two, uh, game three. Again, down to nothing going back home. They're four point favorites in the first half. They're three and a half point favorites in the first quarter. Like it's crazy. It is crazy how inflated these numbers are. Uh, and yet you're going to get a lot of people to buy into it. So be very fascinated to see if they are indeed going to be able to cover that number in the first half, because that is going to be a very, very popular angle for a lot of betters when they come up tomorrow. That let's take a look at just a couple of things that happened last night. I, I think we'll start with the, the Suns and Clippers because one, it's a series near and dear to my heart. But two, 
it just speaks to how much I enjoy the NBA postseason and why I enjoy it so much. You know, for those who watched really closely yesterday, you know, what there's a lot of things that stick out. But one of the things that really stick out is the fact that the Suns made it a conscious effort to go after Ivica Zubac, Mason Plumley, and just these bigs for the Clippers and put them in pick and rolls and force them to switch and defend. It's been a weakness of the Clippers in the past. Look at Doncic went after Ivica Zubac like crazy in the two series that they played. And you see it here again where the Suns were like, okay, well, if you're going to keep a big on the floor at all times, we're going to go after him every single possession because the Clippers bigs are a little bit different than DeAndre Ayton, right? DeAndre Ayton's pretty athletic. He's not as low thing. He's got a little bit more lateral quickness, and so he can switch out to the perimeter if necessary. It's not the same thing with the Vita Zubac, and that there was a mid, there was a midi that Chris Paul hit near the end of the game where he gets Zubac, and he does that quick lateral step to get to his spot from a mid-range area, and all Zubac can do is just lunge out and try to at least contest the shot. Chris Paul went down. Chris Paul was great down the stretch with what he had to do, but the the talent of the Suns really showed out, and the game plan really showed out. How about Phoenix yesterday? 32 of 50 on all mid-range attempts against Los Angeles, and on long mid-range shots, they shot 72.7%. That is insanity to get that rate from mid-range, but we know who they are. We know who Devin Booker is. We know who Chris Paul is. We know who Kevin Durant is, and they're capable of doing this. And so why I like this so much is, of course, as somebody who backed the Clippers, I don't really love it because they're getting a lot of confidence. They look really good. Um, but also looking at this from the perspective of just like the basketball perspective and, and seeing the adjustments is a lot of fun. So as we move forward here, you know what the adjustment is going to be for the Los Angeles Clippers is going to be pretty fascinating because the Clippers, one of the quivers in the arrow, if you will, that they have not busted out essentially since January has been the ability to go really small and play like a Robert Covington at the five and play this five-out style of basketball that led them to a win over the Dallas Mavericks, that led them to a win over the Utah Jazz, more famously, and Rudy Gobert in his last year with Utah, uh, and that year that they made it to the Western Conference Finals. It, there, there was a lot there for the Los Angeles Clippers to potentially do if they want to make that adjustment, if they want to go away from some of the bigs that they have out there. So I just can't wait to see what the adjustment's going to be. I think from a series standpoint, I stand where I'm at, which is I think the Clippers are more live in this series than the market gives them credit for. Uh, again, they're about 18-1 to 1 to win the Western Conference, and they're still very sizable underdogs in this series as a whole. You get it because of where the market's at. Uh, but I do think that if you're talking about where the Clippers are at in this series, still pretty live and probably not going to, the, um, the Clippers are underdogs on their home court here against the Phoenix Suns, which is not surprising given where the Phoenix Suns are power rated and where they've been in these home games. So two and a half is the spread with a total of 227 and a half. It is worth interesting to note that it is worth interesting to note. I, did I just say that? I apologize. It is worth noting. It is interesting um, that the two and a half is a six point swing from the eight and a half point spread that we saw in game two. Not, of course, the seven and a half point spread we saw in game one. So market operating off of the increase in the power rating from game one to game two. Um, just just worth a note. Just worth a note there in that matchup. Also, what we saw yesterday, kudos to the Cleveland Cavaliers for adjusting and their own game plan defensively. And this is why you talk about like the Knicks. And one of the things that I brought up, right, we've used the term bricky on the show before for New York is the offense. If it gets a little stagnant, it's because individual players like Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle uh, aren't really performing at an optimal level. And Julius or Julius Brunson, 
Jalen Brunson had an off night and a rough night yesterday against Cleveland. And one of the things that Cleveland started to do was just blitz the crap at a lot of, a lot of those pick and rolls for Jalen Brunson. And blitzing means just whenever you bring somebody to screen over with you, right? They just immediately, the defender on the screener and the actual on-ball defender just immediately goes after, um, uh, goes immediately goes after Jalen Brunson, right? And, or the ball handler. And that's exactly what they were doing. And it did not allow Jalen Brunson to get a hit, the head of steam. It did not get, allow him to get downhill, allow him to go to that immediate step back that he likes to hit as well. It just completely took Brunson out of the game plan. So what that adjustment is going to be for New York as they head back to New York is going to be pretty fascinating. But this series is kind of right where you expected, right? Would it be surprising to see them split home uh, split in New York for Cavaliers to get home court back and to bring this thing back to Cleveland? But this is going to be a game-to-game series. Something is going to change in every single one of these contests. No real edge one way or the other. I guess I will say, as somebody who thought New York was pretty live in this series but was hesitant to play anything because of the status of Julius Randle moving forward, uh, I think there actually is a little bit of value in coming in and backing the New York Knicks in this series. Just from the standpoint of, I don't think that there is much difference between these two. And for the Knicks to be small underdogs in this series, despite having home court to their advantage, and for the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are a somewhat underwhelming road team this season, I, I do think that if you're talking about minus 105 in favor of the New York Knicks, if you have not gotten involved in this series yet, I think that's a really manageable price because I do think that the New York Knicks should be favored in this series <clears throat> if, we're at, if we're equating home court equally, which at this point right now, it doesn't really seem to be the case because New York is only a two-point favorite at home, and in some spots, one and a half. That would indicate that the market views Cleveland as the better team on a neutral, and I think these two teams are much closer to being equals as opposed to Cleveland having a distinct edge. And by the way, on the road this season, 20 and 21 straight up, 17, 21, and three against the spread. That's a 44.7 cover rate for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And finally, Boston Atlanta uh, got burned again. Bet this thing over, and the shooting just cannot catch up for Atlanta at any point. A under thirty percent for the series so far from beyond the arc for the Atlanta Hawks. It's been a really rough go for this offense. They have not been able to do anything consistently, and even when it comes to generating good looks, those good looks aren't really going down consistently for them, and that's going to be a little bit of a problem. You can't shoot against Boston, even the shots that they're going to give you. It's a really, really big deal, and they have not, the Atlanta Hawks, been able to do it at this point right now. Uh, I don't think they've, they have not generated a high frequency, uh, and actually they have, look at this, I, I didn't run the numbers properly. How about this? Through two games in the postseason, Atlanta has generated, and this is per game, so actually let's filter this out for total. Let's go total really quickly. Get these stats real quick. Okay, so let's see. Through two games, where are we at right here? Let's get three-point attempts. Okay. So through two games, why is this giving me one game? Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Playoffs. The, uh, all right, let's go back to per game, I guess. I don't know why they filtered out a game. Anyway, all right. So through two games, Boston Celtics, through two games, giving up 23 wide-open three-point attempts per game, okay, to the Atlanta Hawks. Regardless, the amount is not what's important. The percentage is. Atlanta is shooting just 17.5% on wide-open three-point attempts in this series. Just brutal. Absolutely brutal. For somebody who put who, who bet the over in both of those games, those like just make like three or four more of those. And we're talking about these games potentially going over, but that is not something that is against Boston that's going to give you nothing inside that's been killing you in the paint with their own offense. 
you've got to be able to shoot the ball effectively. And that has not been the case. And if you factor in just overall two point field goal attempts, three point field goal attempts through two games, Atlanta is shooting 26.5% on wide open attempts, according to the NBA tracking data. Effective field goal percentage of 33.7%. Not very good. Not very good at all. Now, Boston's not giving up a super high rate of three-point attempts that are wide open. Uh, Uncontested looks you're talking about, eh, about like 20.1% of their three-point attempts have been considered wide open. And overall, 22.8% of their uh, overall field goal attempts are considered wide open Atlanta. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's not like a, it's pretty average in terms of an actual rate. But when you're talking about this from the standpoint of just being able to get them to go down, man, to shoot 26.5% on wide open looks is just bad. Did I say 24.5 earlier? I meant 26.5. 24.5 is the field goal attempts per game that they're getting that are wide open. They're shooting just 26.5% on wide open attempts at Atlanta. So Look, so somebody got burned, betting the first two games over, uh, I am. As you look ahead to game three, which we'll have more on coming up a little bit later tomorrow, it, you know, tempted once again to look at over 228.5 as this totals continue to drop. But there's indicators that this thing should be an over series. Uh, but we'll have a little bit more on that coming up tomorrow when Matt Maselman joins us. So uh, with that, we're going to finish up here. Appreciate a, a couple of minutes with just me. And tomorrow we'll have Matt Maselman on with us to discuss this from a little bit more of like a power rating and model standpoint and see what he's been doing with these numbers. And I uh, can't wait to talk to Will Hill, who's going to join us on Friday. Remember, like, rate, review, subscribe. Also, again, Stanley Cup postseason underway. Andy McNeil, Danny Burke have been doing a tremendous job over on the NHL betting podcast for VSIN, which you can check out. Also, the NHL playoff hub that is up on the website at vcin.com. And of course, baseball season is underway. Check out Adam Burke's work, not related to Danny Burke, surprisingly enough, uh, both Midwest guys, uh, but you can check out Adam's work up there as well. MLB Daily Best Bets podcast, I think is what it is. Just look at vcin wherever you get your podcast, you'll find it. And also check out Adam's Daily Best Bets column up on the website. Until then, we'll talk to you tomorrow. It's been Harvard Handicappers. Appreciate the time. See you then. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club.